Section 2 of Journal of a Residence on a Georgian Plantation, 1838-1839. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by James K. White. Journal of a Residence on a Georgian Plantation, 1838-1839, by Francis Ann Kimball. Section 2. Darien, Georgia. Dear E., minuteness of detail and fidelity in the account of my daily doings will hardly i fear render my letters very interesting to you now but cut off as i am here from all the usual resources and amusements of civilized existence i shall find but little to communicate to you that is not furnished by my observations on the novel appearance of external nature and the moral and physical condition of mr s people the latter subject is i know one sufficiently interesting in itself to you and i shall not scruple to impart all the reflections which may occur to me relative to their state during my stay here where inquiry into their mode of existence will form my chief occupation and necessarily also the staple commodity of my letters i purpose while i reside here keeping a sort of journal such as monk lewis wrote during his visit to his west india plantations i wish i had any prospect of rendering my diary as interesting and amusing to you as his was to me in taking my first walk on the island i directed my steps towards the rice mill a large building on the banks of the river within a few yards of the house we occupy is it not rather curious that Miss Martineau should have mentioned the erection of a steam-mill for threshing rice somewhere in the vicinity of Charleston as a singular novelty likely to form an era in southern agriculture, and to produce the most desirable changes in the system of labor by which it is carried on? Now, on this estate alone, there are three threshing-mills, one worked by steam, one by the tide, and one by horses there are two private steam-mills on plantations adjacent to ours and a public one at savannah where the planters who have none on their own estates are in the habit of sending their rice to be threshed at a certain percentage these have all been in operation for some years and i therefore am at a loss to understand what made her hail the erection of the one at charleston as likely to produce such immediate and happy results by the by of the misstatements or rather mistakes for they are such in her books with regard to certain facts her only disadvantage in acquiring information was not by any means that natural affirmity on which the periodical press both here and in england has commented with so much brutality she had the misfortune to possess too that unsuspecting reliance upon the truth of others which they are apt to feel who themselves hold truth most sacred and this was a sore disadvantage to her in a country where i have heard it myself repeatedly asserted and what is more much gloried in that she was purposely misled by the persons to whom she addressed her inquiries who did not scruple to disgrace themselves by imposing in the grossest manner upon her credulity and anxiety to obtain information it is a knowledge of this very shameful proceeding which has made me most especially anxious to avoid fact-hunting 
I might fill my letters to you with accounts received from others, but as I am aware of the risk which I run in so doing, I shall furnish you with no details but those which come under my own immediate observation. To return to the rice mill, it is worked by a steam engine of thirty horsepower, and besides threshing great part of our own rice, is kept constantly employed by the neighboring planters who send their grain to it in preference to the more distant mill at Savannah paying, of course, the same percentage, which makes it a very profitable addition to the estate. Immediately opposite to this building is a small shed which they call the cook's shop, and where the daily allowance of rice and corn grits of the people is boiled and distributed to them by an old woman whose special business this is. There are four settlements or villages, or, as the negroes call them, camps, on the island consisting of from ten to twenty houses, and to each settlement is annexed a cook's shop with capacious cauldrons, and the oldest wife of the settlement for officiating priestess. Pursuing my walk along the river's bank upon an artificial dike, sufficiently high and broad to protect the fields from inundation by the ordinary rising of the tide, for the whole island is below high water mark, I passed the blacksmith's and cooper's shops, at the first, all the common iron implements of husbandry or household use for the estate are made, and at the latter, all the rice barrels necessary for the crop, besides tubs and buckets large and small for the use of the people, and cedar tubs of noble dimensions and exceedingly neat workmanship for our own household purposes. The fragrance of these, when they are first made, as well as their ample size, renders them preferable as dressing-room furniture, in my opinion, to all the china foot-tubs that ever came out of Staffordshire. After this, I got out of the vicinity of the settlement, and pursued my way along a narrow dike, the river on one hand, and on the other a slimy, poisonous-looking swamp, all rattling with sedges of enormous height, in which one might lose one's way as effectually as in a forest of oaks. Beyond this, the low rice-fields, all clothed in their rugged stubble, divided by dikes into monotonous squares, a species of prospect by no means beautiful to the mere lover of the picturesque. The only thing that I met with to attract my attention was a most beautiful species of ivy, the leaf longer and more graceful than that of the common English creeper, glittering with the highest varnish, delicately veined, and of a rich brown-green, growing in profuse garlands from branch to branch of some stunted evergreen bushes which border the dike and which the people call saltwater bush my walks are rather circumscribed inasmuch as the dikes are the only promenades on all sides of these lie either the marshy rice fields the brimming river or the swampy patches of yet unreclaimed forest where the huge cypress trees and exquisite evergreen undergrowth spring up from a stagnant sweltering pool that effectually forbids the foot of the explorer as i skirted one of these thickets to-day i stood still to admire the beauty of the shrubbery every shade of green every variety of form every degree of varnish and all in full leaf and beauty in the very depth of winter the stunted dark-coloured oak the magnolia bay like our own culinary and fragrant bay which grows to a very great size, the wild myrtle, a beautiful and profuse shrub, rising to a height of six, eight, 
and ten feet and branching on all sides in luxuriant tufted fullness most beautiful of all that pride of the south the magnolia grandiflora whose lustrous dark green perfect foliage would alone render it an object of admiration without the queenly blossom whose color size and perfume are unrivalled in the whole vegetable kingdom this last magnificent creature grows to the size of a forest tree in these swamps but seldom adorns a high or dry soil or suffers itself to be successfully transplanted under all these the spiked palmetto forms an impenetrable covert and from glittering graceful branch to branch hang garlands of evergreen creepers on which the mocking-birds are swinging and singing even now while i bethinking me of the pinching cold that is at this hour tyrannizing over your region look round on this strange scene on these green woods this unfettered river and sunny sky and feel very much like one in another planet from yourself the profusion of birds here is one thing that strikes me as curious coming from the vicinity of philadelphia where even the robin redbreast held sacred by the humanity of all other christian people is not safe from the gunning prowess of the unlicensed sportsmen of your free country the negroes of course are not allowed the use of firearms and their very simply constructed traps do not do much havoc among the feathered hordes that haunt their rice fields their case is rather a hard one as partridges snipes and the most delicious wild ducks abound here and their allowance of rice and indian meal would not be the worse for such additions no day passes that i do not in the course of my walk put up a number of the land birds and startle from among the gigantic sedges the long-necked waterfowl by dozens it arouses the killing propensity in me most dreadfully and i really entertain serious thoughts of learning to use a gun for the mere pleasure of destroying these pretty birds as they were from their secret coverts close beside my path how strong an instinct of animal humanity this is and how strange if one be more strange than another reflection rebukes it almost instantaneously and yet for the life of me i cannot help wishing i had a fowling piece whenever i put up a covey of these creatures though i suppose if one were brought bleeding and maimed to me i should begin to cry and be very pathetic after the fashion of jacques however one must live you know and here our living consists very mainly of wild ducks wild geese wild turkeys and venison nor perhaps can one imagine the universal doom overtaking a creature with less misery than in the case of the bird who in the very moment of his triumphant soaring is brought dead to the ground i should like to bargain for such a finis myself amazingly i know and have always thought that the death i should prefer would be to break my neck off the back of my horse at a full gallop on a fine day of course a bad shot should be hung a man who shatters his bird's wings and legs if i undertook the trade i would learn of some southern duelist and always shoot my bird through the head or heart as an expert murderer knows how besides these birds of which we make our prey there are others that prey upon their own fraternity hawks of every sort and size wheel their steady rounds above the rice fields and the great turkey buzzards those most unsightly carrion birds 
spread their broad black wings and soar over the river like so many mock eagles i do not know that i ever saw any winged creature of so forbidding an aspect as these same turkey buzzards their heavy flight their awkward gait their bald-looking head and neck and their devotion to every species of foul and detestable food render them almost abhorrent to me they abound in the south and in charleston are held in especial veneration for their scavenger-like propensities killing one of them being i believe a finable offence by the city police regulations among the brobdignasian sedges that in some parts of the island fringe the altamaha the nightshade apparently the same as the european creeper weaves a perfect matting of its poisonous garlands and my remembrance of its prevalence in the woods and hedges of england did not reconcile me to its appearance here how much of this is mere association i cannot tell but whether the wild duck makes its nest under its green arches or the alligators and snakes of the altamaha have their secret bowers there it is an evil-looking weed and i shall have every leaf of it cleared away i must inform you of a curious conversation which took place between my little girl and the woman who performs for us the offices of chambermaid here of course one of mr blank's slaves what suggested it to the child or whence indeed she gathered her information i know not but children are made of eyes and ears and nothing however minute escapes their microscopic observation she suddenly began addressing this woman mary some persons are free and some are not the woman made no reply i am a free person of a little more than three years old i say i am a free person mary do you know that yes missus some persons are free and some are not do you know that mary yes missus here was the reply i know it is so here in this world here my child's white nurse my dear marjorie who had hitherto been silent interfered saying oh then you think it will not always be so me hope not missus i am afraid e this woman actually imagines that there will be no slaves in heaven isn't that preposterous now when by the account of most of the southerners slavery itself must be heaven or something uncommonly like it oh if you could imagine how this title missus addressed to me and to my children shocks all my feelings several times i have exclaimed for god's sake do not call me that and only been awakened by the stupid amazement of the poor creatures i was addressing to the perfect uselessness of my thus expostulating with them once or twice indeed i have done more i have explained to them and they appeared to comprehend me well that i had no ownership over them for that i held such ownership sinful and that though i was the wife of the man who pretends to own them i was in truth no more their mistress than they were mine some of them i know understood me more of them did not our servants those who have been selected to wait upon us in the house consist of a man who is quite a tolerable cook i believe this is a natural gift with them as with frenchmen a dairy woman who churns for us a laundry woman her daughter our housemaid the aforesaid mary and two young lads of from fifteen to twenty who wait upon us in the capacity of footmen 
as however the latter are perfectly filthy in their persons and clothes their faces hands and naked feet being literally encrusted with dirt their attendance at our meals is not as you may suppose particularly agreeable to me and i dispense with it as often as possible mary too is so intolerably offensive in her person that it is impossible to endure her proximity and the consequence is that amongst mr s slaves i wait upon myself more than i have ever done in my life before about this same personal offensiveness the southerners you know insist that it is inherent with the race and it is one of their most cogent reasons for keeping them as slaves but as this very disagreeable peculiarity does not prevent southern women from hanging their infants at the breasts of negresses nor almost every planter's wife and daughter from having one or more little pet blacks sleeping like puppy-dogs in their very bedchamber nor almost every planter from admitting one or several of his female slaves to the still closer intimacy of his bed it seems to me that this objection to doing them right is not very valid i cannot imagine that they would smell much worse if they were free or come in much closer contact with the delicate organs of their white fellow-countrymen indeed inasmuch as good deeds are spoken of as having a sweet savour before god it might be supposed that the freeing of the blacks might prove rather an odoriferous process than the contrary however this may be i must tell you that this potent reason for enslaving a whole race of people is no more potent with me than most of the others adduced to support the system inasmuch as from observation and some experience i am strongly inclined to believe that peculiar ignorance of the laws of health and the habits of decent cleanliness are the real and only causes of this disagreeable characteristic of the race thorough ablutions and change of linen when tried having been perfectly successful in removing all such objections and if ever you have come into anything like neighbourly proximity with a low irishman or woman i think you will allow that the same causes produce very nearly the same effects the stench in an irish scotch italian or french hovel are quite as intolerable as any i ever found in our negro houses and the filth and vermin which abound about the clothes and persons of the lower peasantry of any of those countries as abominable as the same conditions in the black population of the united states a total absence of self-respect begets these hateful physical results and in proportion as moral influences are remote physical evils will abound well-being freedom and industry induce self-respect self-respect induces cleanliness and personal attention so that slavery is answerable for all the evils that exhibit themselves where it exists from lying thieving and adultery to dirty houses ragged clothes and foul smells but to return to our ganymedes one of them the eldest son of our laundrywoman and mary's brother a boy of the name of alec alexander is uncommonly bright and intelligent he performs all the offices of a well-instructed waiter with great efficiency and anywhere out of slave land would be able to earn fourteen or fifteen dollars a month for himself he is remarkably good-tempered and well-disposed the other poor boy is so stupid that he appears sullen from absolute darkness of intellect instead of being a little lower than the angels he is scarcely a little higher than the brutes 
and to this condition are reduced the majority of his kind by the institutions under which they live i should tell you that aleck's parents and kindred have always been about the house of the overseer and in daily habits of intercourse with him and his wife and wherever this is the case the effect of involuntary education is evident in the improved intelligence of the degraded race in a conversation which mr had this evening with mr the overseer the latter mentioned that two of our carpenters had in their leisure time made a boat which they had disposed of to some neighboring planter for sixty dollars now e i have no intention of telling you a one-sided story or concealing from you what are cited as the advantages which these poor people possess you who know that no indulgence is worth simple justice either to him who gives or him who receives will not thence conclude that their situation thus mitigated is therefore what it should be on this matter of the sixty dollars earned by mr s two men much stress was laid by him and his overseer i look at it thus if these men were industrious enough out of their scanty leisure to earn sixty dollars how much more of remuneration of comfort of improvement might they not have achieved were the price of their daily labor duly paid them instead of being unjustly withheld to support an idle young man and his idle family i e myself and my children and here it may be well to inform you that the slaves on this plantation are divided into field hands and mechanics or artisans the former the great majority are the more stupid and brutish of the tribe the others who are regularly taught their trades are not only exceedingly expert at them but exhibit a greater general activity of intellect which must necessarily result from even a partial degree of cultivation there are here a gang for that is the honorable term of coopers of blacksmiths of bricklayers of carpenters all well acquainted with their peculiar trades the latter constructed the wash-hand stands clothes presses sofas tables etc with which our house is furnished and they are very neat pieces of workmanship neither veneered or polished indeed nor of very costly materials but of the white pine wood planed as smooth as marble a species of furniture not very luxurious perhaps but all the better adapted therefore to the house itself which is certainly rather more devoid of the conveniences and adornments of modern existence than anything i ever took up my abode in before it consists of three small rooms and three still smaller which would be more appropriately designated as closets a wooden recess by way of pantry and a kitchen detached from the dwelling a mere wooden outhouse with no floor but the bare earth and for furniture a congregation of filthy negroes who lounge in and out of it like hungry hounds at all hours of the day and night picking up such scraps of food as they can find about which they discuss squatting down upon their hams in which interesting position and occupation i generally find a number of them whenever i have sufficient hardihood to venture within those precincts the sight of which and its tenants is enough to slacken the appetite of the hungriest hunter that ever lost all nice regards in the mere animal desire for food of our three apartments one is our sitting eating and living room and is sixteen feet by fifteen the walls are plastered indeed but neither painted nor papered it is divided from our bedroom a similarly elegant and comfortable chamber by a dingy wooden partition covered all over with hooks pegs and nails 
to which hats, caps, keys, etc., etc., are suspended in graceful irregularity. The door is opened by wooden latches raised by means of small bits of pack-thread. I imagine the same primitive order of fastening celebrated in the touching chronicle of Red Riding Hood. How they shut, I will not pretend to describe, as the shutting of a door is a process of extremely rare occurrence throughout the whole southern country. The third room, a chamber with sloping ceiling, immediately over our sitting-room and under the roof, is appropriated to the nurse and my two babies. Of the closets, one is Mr. Blank, the overseer's bedroom, the other his office or place of business, and the third, adjoining our bedroom and opening immediately out of doors, is Mr. Blank's dressing-room and cabinet d'affaires, where he gives audiences to the negroes, redresses grievances, distributes red woolen caps, a singular gratification to a slave, shaves himself, and performs the other offices of his toilet. Such being our abode, I think you will allow there is little danger of my being dazzled by the luxurious splendors of a southern slave residence. Our sole mode of summoning our attendants is by a pack-thread bell-rope suspended in the sitting-room. From the bedrooms we have to raise the windows and our voices, and bring them by the power of lungs, or help ourselves, which, I thank God, was never yet a hardship to me. I mentioned to you just now that two of the carpenters had made a boat in their leisure time. I must explain this to you, and this will involve the mention of another of Miss Martineau's mistakes with regard to slave labor, at least in many parts of the southern states. She mentions that on one estate, of which she knew, the proprietor had made the experiment, and very successfully, of appointing to each of his slaves a certain task to be performed in the day, which, once accomplished, no matter how early, the rest of the four-and-twenty hours were allowed to the laborer to employ as he pleased. She mentions this as a single experiment, and rejoices over it as a decided amelioration in the condition of the slave, and one deserving of general adoption but in the part of georgia where this estate is situated the custom of task labor is universal and it prevails i believe throughout georgia south carolina and parts of north carolina in other parts of the latter state however as i was informed by our overseer who is a native of that state the estates are small rather deserving the name of farms and the laborers are much upon the same footing as the laboring men at the north working from sunrise to sunset in the fields with the farmer and his sons and coming in with them to their meals which they take immediately after the rest of the family in louisiana and the new southwestern slave states i believe task labor does not prevail but it is in those that the condition of the poor human cattle is most deplorable as you know it was there that the humane calculation was not only made but openly and unhesitatingly avowed that the planters founded upon the whole their most profitable plan to work off kill with labor their whole number of slaves about once in seven years and renew the whole stock by the by the jewish institution of slavery is much insisted upon by the southern upholders of the system perhaps this is their notion of the jewish jubilee when the slaves were by moses's strict enactment to be all set free well this task system is pursued on this estate 
and thus it is that the two carpenters were enabled to make the boat they sold for sixty dollars these tasks of course profess to be graduated according to the sex age and strength of the laborer but in many instances this is not the case as i think you will agree when i tell you that on mr blank's first visit to his estates he found that the men and the women who labored in the fields had the same task to perform this was a noble admission of female equality was it not and thus it had been on the estate for many years past mr blank of course altered the distribution of the work diminishing the quantity done by the women end of section two recording by james k white chula vista